So uh, thank you for being friendly with one another. If you want to uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, here in just a minute or two, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. Uh, if you need a Bible of your own, they're on either side of the sound booth. You're welcome to them. And uh, when we get there, uh, it'll also be on the screen uh, behind me. During the gold rush, as uh, people rushed out to California to try to find gold and become rich, it was really important that they became able uh, to distinguish actual gold uh, from a mineral that can very easily be mistaken for gold, uh, pyrite, uh, also known as fool's gold. Fool's gold. Uh, Someone unaware of this imposter chemical or unable to distinguish it from actual gold, could think that they had really hit the mother load and, and just had taken quite a haul, only to have their euphoria destroyed as they would then go and try to sell this to someone who actually knew the difference between actual gold and fool's gold. You're probably familiar with the phrase, all that glitters isn't gold. And that's what I've uh, titled today's message. And those trying to strike it rich had to keep this in mind. And they had to be very attentive to distinguishing between real gold and fool's gold. Uh, What happens when you go uh, to the store and you hand the cashier paper money? It, it, It used to seem to me that it was a $50 bill and up that would get you flagged, Uh, but now it seems like it's a $20 bill and up that they're checking for counterfeit money. Uh, Maybe that's a sign of uh, the economy, that they've downgraded it to checking the 20s. But anyway, when you hand hand a cashier a a bill, they'll uh, do a couple of different things. I'm not sure which one is the most current thing, but they used to mark it with a yellow highlighter. Uh, to distinguish real money from counterfeit money. I think now with the new money, they're just kind of holding it up to the light uh, and looking for some uh, indicator. But either way, they are looking for counterfeit money. They want to make sure that what you're giving them is not fake, but is the real thing. Uh, Most of us probably would not be able to tell the difference Uh, between real money and counterfeit money, but they have been trained to do so. They know what to look for. The differences can be subtle, but uh, because they are alert to those things, they've been trained properly, they closely inspect the money, they avoid having something counterfeit passed off to them. All that glitters isn't gold. And gold and money are not the only things that if we aren't careful... Someone will try to pass off the fake, something that's fake, as real. Sadly, it has always been true. And today, I think it's as true as it's ever been, maybe even more so, that within the church of Jesus Christ, there are those who are trying to pass off false teaching, meaning teaching that does not agree with God's word. They try to pass off false teaching as truth, even as truth biblical truth. And like the person who needed to be aware of fool's gold, and like the cashier who needs to be trained to identify counterfeit money, we need to be alert to the fact that within the church of Jesus Christ, you can find both teaching that is true, again, teaching that's consistent with God's word, and you can find teaching that is false, that's inconsistent with God's word. You can find teachers that are faithful to God's word. 
And you can find teachers that misuse God's word for their own selfish and carnal purposes. Just because something is said in a church building from behind a pulpit does not make it true. Just because you can find something in a book at Lifeway Christian stores does not make it true. Just because someone says they're teaching what the Bible says doesn't mean that they really are. Now, I want to be clear from the outset here that well-meaning people can get things, uh, can honestly get things wrong in Scripture with no nefarious motive whatsoever. So, so I want to be clear to say that. I also want to be clear to say that there is a lot in the Bible that we can wrestle with and we can have some different understandings of, that we can debate exactly what it means. So, so with those things being said, that's not, those are not the examples we're dealing with today. What today's text has in view, because it was a problem in the context that the passage that we're going to look at today was written, and it's still a problem today, is the problem of false teachers who deliberately, purposefully misuse the Word of God. I would have heard of the sound booth on this, but I feel really loud, so... Uh, I'll trust you if I'm not, but I just wanted to say that. Uh, so let's look at uh, 1 John 4, 1 through 6, and then we'll see uh, from that what we can learn about the importance of guarding against false teachers, how we can distinguish between what is true and what is false, and how we can overcome false teachers and their false teaching. So I'll read and you can follow along as I do. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So why must we be on guard against false teachers and false teaching in the world and even within the church? The first few verses of John, 1 John 4 give us some answers to this. Verse 1 lets us know that we have to be on guard because there are many false teachers in the world. And friends, their numbers have not decreased since John wrote these words, there are many false teachers at work in the world. Some of them are world-famous authors. Some of them are gurus of New Age spirituality. Some of them are former Christians who now devote themselves to teaching others why they no longer believe and why those persons should no longer believe. And some of them are teachers in churches who present themselves as declaring the truth of Scripture, but in reality teach a corruption of the Scriptures. There are many false teachers. 
And today, many of them have the label Christian. Many of them are called pastor, denominational president, Christian college president, respected Bible scholar, long-term deacon or elder. There are many false teachers in the world. Verse 5 gives us the next reason that we should be on guard against false teachers. Because they are from the world and speak from the perspective of the world, the world listens to them. So these people have an audience. They have a rather large audience. They speak messages that the world likes. They speak messages that the world wants to hear. And so they often become very popular. And there's danger for us in that. Because no one wants to be out of the loop of what's popular. No one wants to be the person who opposes something that everybody else is affirming. It just makes you feel like a big old weirdo. And we don't want that. When a message, a teaching, a belief becomes very popular, it becomes very easy for people to be taken in by it. To start to think that because so many people seem to believe this, perhaps it is true. And so when something is popular, it takes extra diligence to be willing to identify it as false. It takes extra courage. It often requires very fine-tuned discernment. An example that I'll just mention in today's uh, culture, in today's uh, current climate is the whole don't judge message that, that has been accepted as gospel truth by the larger culture and by a whole lot of Christians. Of course, there is a completely accurate application of don't judge. But the way it's popularly understood, effectively meaning you can never say anything critical about anything anyone ever does, no matter how awful and displeasing to God it might be, is completely unbiblical. It is a false teaching. And yet it is popular even among well-meaning Christians. They get sucked into it. And they think that they are quoting rock-solid biblical truth. We have to be on guard against false teaching because false teachers are often popular which confers some level of believability and credibility to them, and it is undeserved. All that glitters isn't gold. And the third reason we have to be on guard against false teachers is found in verse 3, because false teachers are not from God, and they lead people away from God. Now, Brian, why do we have to take time to to be all negative like this. Why, why, why do we... Ha- well, number one is because the Bible talks about this. This is, this is our next section in the series. But number two, it's because it's important. False teachers are not harmless. They lead people away from God. If you tell someone that God is pleased with something he isn't pleased with, you set them up to be placed in a bad position 
with God. If you say that God accepts something that God does not accept, you have led people away from God. If someone teaches that you're fine with God just as you are, but you're really not fine with God just as you are, the person has caused you a big problem. They have led you away from God. And so we have to be on guard against false teachers because they are not from God and because their teaching can actually lead people away from God. So these are the reasons we see in the text why we need to be on guard against false teaching and false teachers. We cannot assume that anywhere is safe, even in the church, even in the Christian bookstore, even in the Christian college. So having seen that we need to be on guard, let's see what the text tells us about how we can know, how we can distinguish between what is true and what is false. Look at verse 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit, and just, just think person, every spirit, every person that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Some translations say every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. The person of Jesus Christ is the first test of whether a teacher is true or false. It's not the only test, but it is the first test, and a test whose importance cannot be overstated. John's writing here seems to have been occasioned, at least in part, by people who had come into the church at that time who were teaching that Jesus had not really come in the flesh. They were Gnostics. They viewed the material world as unimportant and even illusory. And the unseen spiritual world was the only reality in these people's thinking. And so what they were trying to do is they were trying to fit Jesus into their previously existing philosophical box. So for these folks, it was easy to accept the deity of Christ, but they were unable to accept that Jesus was fully human. Of course, in our context today, it's much more challenging for people to accept the deity of Jesus. People are quite comfortable in our time uh, affirming that Jesus was a real human being who lived in the first century, but people struggle with being willing to affirm his deity. But at that time, in that place, uh, with some, it was Jesus' humanity that was difficult for them to accept. So to say this very clearly and simply... True teachers, teachers from God, teachers faithful to God's word, get Jesus right. They teach what is true about Jesus. That Jesus is both fully God and fully man. They acknowledge this truth. They confess Jesus as he really is. They get Jesus right and they believe on him. Again, not the only test of a true teacher, but the first and vitally important test. Now look at verse 3. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. True teachers acknowledge the truth about Jesus. False teachers, on the other hand, do not acknowledge or confess the truth about Jesus. They get Jesus wrong. They get something fundamental to understanding Jesus wrong. They reject it. 
Again, in John's context, it was rejecting his humanity. In our day, it is rejecting his divinity. But false teachers reject something fundamental to the identity of Jesus. They create a Jesus that is of their own making, a Jesus of their own imagination, a Jesus of their own preference, of their own previously existing uh, philosophical framework, not the Jesus that really is. And sadly, friends, the Christian church is filling up with people who get Jesus wrong. They, they don't think it matters if Jesus was actually God or not. They don't think it matters even if he was a real person who really lived in the first century. A real historical Jesus in their telling is not as important as what, we're, as what the story of Jesus represents to us. The meaning in the story is what's important, not if it's actually true or not. Only the story and the positive example of Christ really matter. Verse 3 is very clear. Those who get Jesus wrong, who don't acknowledge him as he really is, are not from God. They are false teachers. So false teachers don't acknowledge the truth about Jesus. The first test but not the only test. Here's another test. False teachers contradict the clear teachings of the Bible. They get Jesus wrong, and they get the word of God wrong. They get Jesus wrong, they get the word of God wrong. Here's what false teachers do, and you need to be very alert to these tactics. They follow the pattern of Satan in the Garden of Eden. They corrupt the Word of God. If you remember the story of the Garden, here's what happened. And the false teachers are just like this. Like the serpent in the Garden, false teachers will cast doubt on the Word of God. You remember what the serpent said to Eve when it was reported what God had told them about the tree of knowledge. The serpent first said, Did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Casting doubt, questioning. Are you sure that you heard that right? Not only will they cast doubt, but like the serpent in the garden, false teachers will distort what God said. God never said they could not eat from any tree in the garden. He said they couldn't eat from one tree in the garden. But the serpent and false teachers distort what God says. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And like the serpent in the garden, false teachers will actually deny the word of God. Actually deny it. After Eve reported God's warning to not eat of the tree of knowledge or they would die, the serpent answered this way, You will not die, but your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Cast doubt, distort, and now deny. Direct contradiction to what God had to say. You will not die. But instead, you'll be like God. Three-pronged attack. Doubt, distortion, 
denial. And what this means is, in order to identify false teachers, to not be taken in by them, it becomes very important for Christians to actually know what the Word of God says. To know for yourself what the Word of God says. It is a tragedy when a Christian is totally dependent on someone else for knowing what the Bible says. If you do not know it yourself, you can be taught a lie and you think you've been told the truth. I was once in a um, theological dialogue with a family member and we came into conflict over a point of theology and asked them to defend a very kind of a harsh statement they had made against the rest of the church. And they said, well, I can't, but if you go talk to my pastor, he'll tell you how it is. That's, that's a sad thing. That is a sad thing. Every one of us need to know the word of God for ourselves. False teachers don't acknowledge the truth about Jesus. They contradict the Bible. And throughout Scripture, there are other ways that we can find of identifying false teachers. I'll just mention a few here. Uh, Assessing their commitment to the body of Christ is one way. Watching their lifestyles. Are they consistent with their profession of faith? Are they accountable to anyone besides themselves? But there's no more important test of what is true and false who is a true teacher and who is a false teacher than Jesus and the word of God. Now, here's something else that will give us a little bit of an indicator uh, about uh, identifying false teachers. This is something that is universally true of false teachers. They use Jesus for their own agenda, but they never surrender to Jesus as their savior and Lord. They never submit themselves to the word of God. Jesus is simply a tool for them to get what they want. He is a means to an end. This problem was present at the time of John's writing. Christianity began to get traction in the Mediterranean world where many people were fascinated by its message. And then what they would do is they would seek to draw the message of Jesus into their own philosophical framework. This was at work with the Gnostics that I mentioned a few minutes ago who liked some of the message of Jesus but could not accept the deity of Jesus. Earl Palmer writes this. He says, in effect, they would take possession of the name and teaching of Christ but then redefine and recast these Christian elements so that they would harmonize with the point of view into which these persons were already settled. The result was a domesticated Christianity. It would be as if a person who had already decided upon the main motivational influence of his life then reached out to the Christian faith in order to support the position he already held. Jesus Christ would be incorporated insofar as he agreed with the previously decided positions where disagreements arose, he would either be ignored or redefined. And friends, this is still what false teachers do. What false Christians do. They use Jesus to support what they already believe, but dismiss Jesus as soon as he contradicts what they've already decided upon. 
I saw this played out very clearly several years ago at a large Christian conference. The conference's keynote speaker was telling about his conversion experience. And he said it within the context of a social cause that he had devoted his entire life to. This man had been influenced very significantly by the teachings of Karl Marx and Che Guevara. And he said that he decided to follow Jesus when he realized that the teachings of Jesus related to his life's work were more radical than what Che Guevara was saying. Now listen, I know it's really unpopular today to question anyone's story or experience. And of course, I have to acknowledge that I don't know anyone's heart. And of course, I have to acknowledge that there may have been more to the man's conversion story than what he told us that day. But what he shared that night is a perfect example of the quote I just read from Palmer. It would be as if a person who had already decided upon the main motivational influence of his life then reached out to the Christian faith in order to support the position he already held. Now that I see that Jesus agrees with what I've already decided, I'm ready to follow. This man loves the teachings of Jesus on the subject that has been his life's work. So far as I've been able to discern, he doesn't like a lot of the other teachings of Jesus. We all face this temptation to follow Jesus to the extent that something he says affirms what we already believe. Liberals do this. And conservatives do this. <laughs> Democrats do this. And Republicans do this. If the only thing you know about what the Bible says about the poor is that it says if a man won't work, he should not eat, there's a good chance you're using Jesus to support what you already believe rather than in his word, then you are sitting at his feet to actually learn from him. At the same time, if you don't know that the Bible says that, or if you try to explain away that the Bible says that, there's a good chance you're using the Bible and Jesus to support what you already believe rather than sitting at his feet to really learn of him. If all you know about Jesus' teachings is that somewhere along the line he uttered two words that have become your life's motto, judge not. There is a very good chance that you have simply adopted Jesus to your already determined philosophy of life. But if you're a person who loves the commands of the Bible, but you don't love the grace of the Bible then you too are likely just using Jesus to score points for your already established views rather than really following him. And we need to say here, this whole thing of following Jesus presents us some challenges in and of itself. 
Because Jesus is not just a teacher to be followed. He is a teacher. We are to follow him. But he's not just a teacher to be followed. He is a savior to be received. He is, a Lord. He is the Lord to be obeyed. We don't follow him in the same way we follow our favorite political philosopher or the viewpoints of our favorite economist or our favorite, you know, well, hopefully if you're biblical, you don't have a favorite new age guru, but we don't follow them, uh, in, follow him in that way. With all of those examples and many more that could be given, we follow them as long as we agree, really as long as they agree. And then when disagreement happens, we stop following, at least on that point. And people think this is how we follow Jesus. I follow him as long as I agree, and then I'm, and then I'm done following. Or at least I will say, no, I'm not following that, but I'll follow the rest. And that's not how it is with Jesus. We receive him as Savior, we yield to him as Lord, and when our already held viewpoints conflict with what his word teaches, what happens is... We let go of our viewpoints. We submit our viewpoints to him. We recognize we got that one wrong. He got that one right. So we'll do it the way he says. Now, this is a challenge for all of us. We all are tempted. And on some level, many of us, uh, well, we all have at some point, but, but on an ongoing way, many of us struggle with this. Setting aside certain things that we don't like about what Jesus says. So it's a challenge for all of us, but it is an indicator of a false teacher. False teachers use Jesus for their agenda, but never surrender to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And one final thing we find to help us distinguish true teachers from false. We've already noted this earlier, but verse 5 lets us know that false teachers are often very popular with the world. Now, I want to say again, being popular does not necessarily mean the person is a false teacher. But for someone who represents themselves as representing the God of the Bible, represents that they are teaching truths from Scripture to gain widespread popularity with the world, it at least raises questions and serves as a warning that closer scrutiny is needed before you believe everything that you hear. It seems to me that the Christian church is really struggling with this one. Because here's what I hear from a lot of Christians. They suggest that if the world is not applauding us, we must be doing something wrong. That's essentially the message of they love Jesus but not the church crowd that seems to encompass a whole lot of Christians today. The problem is, and I feel like I've been hammering this point a lot lately. I think the Bible has hammered this point a lot lately. The problem with that viewpoint is the Bible does not support it. The Bible doesn't say that. Throughout the New Testament and in today's text as well, we're warned that those who do not belong to God do not like the message of the church. They will not listen. And many times in the New Testament, we're told, like we saw last week, that we will actually be hated by the world. Why? Because Christians are mean and nasty and horrible. Sometimes that's true. 
But most of the time that the world hates Christians, that's not why they hate us. They hate us because of Christ and his message. That's the Bible, friends. And I, 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 I just know that there are some of you right now who are just pushing back really hard against me. You're pushing back against the word of God. You're not pushing back against me. You don't like this. You think anything that makes anybody uncomfortable and doesn't cause them to applaud everything the church says is somehow misguided and wrong. But it's not. And the Bible teaches this very clearly. The church is hated because of Christ and his message. This isn't being negative. This isn't being a glass half-empty person. This isn't fostering an us-against-the-world mentality. It is simply affirming what the Bible clearly teaches. Thank you, Adele. (laughs) So what have we learned? True teachers acknowledge and confess the truth about Jesus. He's fully God and fully man. False teachers do not acknowledge that truth. They deny some part of Jesus' person. They get Jesus wrong. False teachers contradict the clear teachings of Scripture. They cast doubt on the Bible. They distort the Bible. And when necessary, they flat out deny what the Bible says. False teachers use Jesus for their own agenda. And false teachers are often very popular with the world. Now give me just a few more minutes to share some thoughts that we find from the text on how we overcome false teachers. Verse 1, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everybody and what they have to say. Don't believe. Christians must stop believing that if something has the Christian label They should just completely take it in. You have to discern. You have to apply the test. You have to see. Friends, being gullible is not a Christian virtue. I just want to believe the best about everybody. That's nice as far as you can take it. But when it comes to this, you can't take it very far. Being gullible is not a Christian virtue. So don't believe everything. Instead, accept the responsibility of the second part of verse 2. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. There's this growing sentiment among Christians that if a teacher says they're Christian, we would just be ungracious, uncharitable. To evaluate what they say. That we'd be ungracious to ever suggest that someone who claims Christ might actually be a wolf in sheep's clothing. But as much as we don't want to believe it, some people are wolves in sheep's clothing. All that glitters isn't gold. Sometimes there's a counterfeit bill handed to the cashier. And sometimes something disguised to look Christian is not. The Bible says so. Today's text says so. Don't believe everything. Test what you hear. And that includes what you hear from me. Or anyone who stands up here. Test it. Now, if you find some, you know, something that's a little off, 
you know, do, do consider first that a mistake may have been made. You know, do consider that. <laughs> but test. That includes what you hear from this pulpit. We resist, we overcome false teaching and false teachers when we do these things. And here's another way that we overcome false teachers. We appreciate the plural you of verse 4. Verse 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You, dear children. This is a plural you. We overcome false teaching and false teachers together. Together. We need each other. We discern together. We wrestle with what is true and what is false together. In the context of community, we hold each other accountable for what we believe, what we accept. If one of us starts to get taken in by a false message, other brothers and sisters are around to sound the alarm, to issue the warning, to appeal for a return to what is true. When a message that's popular with the world and sounds a bit Christian but isn't starts to penetrate our thinking, our brothers and sisters come around us and help remind us what is right, help set our wrong thinking straight. We need each other for a lot of reasons, and this is a very important one. We are much less likely to be susceptible to false teaching within the context of Bible-believing Christian community than we are on our own. We overcome false teachers, false teaching by not believing everything, by testing what we're taught against the truth of Scripture, by appreciating the plural you, the need to be in a Bible-believing church family. And here's the final way that we overcome false teaching and false teachers. Because the one who is in us, Christ, is greater than the one who is in the world. Satan and Antichrist. Listen, I talk to a good number of Christians who are really struggling with much that is happening in our world today, including in our own country. They're just struggling, discouraged. You know, there's never been a time where all the citizens of the United States were genuine followers of Christ. That, that has never, never been the case. But for much of our history, most of our citizens at least understood and appreciated the Judeo-Christian foundations of our nation. For most of our history, the, the whole culture saw Christian virtues as desirable and even necessary for the functioning of the republic. Today, that is not true. It's no longer true. Committed Christians and cultural Christians used to agree on a whole lot of things. They at least shared the same values. Not so much anymore. Christian and secular used to hold the same views on a whole host of unifying values and virtues. But it's no longer the case. We are seeing the culture lost before our very eyes. And if that isn't bad enough, we see the church infiltrated by false teachers and people who say they love God and love the Bible, but whose beliefs bear no resemblance to biblical faith. 
So we look from our vantage point and we see both the culture and the church being compromised, being fundamentally transformed, and we're shocked and confused and frustrated and brokenhearted. We feel under attack. We feel beleaguered, and it is understandable. But listen, when things are dark and getting darker as they seem to be uh, right now, we need to remind ourselves of some truths. We need to remind ourselves that God is not surprised by what is happening in the world. God is not surprised by what's happening in our own country. In fact, God knew from the very beginning exactly what would be going on with all of us in this place in 2014. We need to remind ourselves that God is not wringing his hands. God is not wondering how it will all turn out and how his people will fare as unbelievers become more hostile to faith. God has not lost control. God is still sovereign. God still controls the affairs of men. And even though things look dark right now, God knows how It all ends. And friends, here is how it ends. It ends in victory for Jesus Christ and his church. Amen. It ends with a bride without spot or blemish. That's how it ends. It ends with the return of Christ. It ends with all things made right. It ends with the eternal rule and reign of Christ when all things are made subject to him. And so I encourage you today. I understand the struggle. I share the struggle. But I encourage you, do not let events in the world discourage you to the point of despair. We will overcome because the enemy and the forces of darkness, though they are powerful, this truth remains. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The dark days, no matter how dark they become, are only temporary. The victory of Christ and his church is eternal. So be encouraged. God is still in control. He still sits on the throne. His victory is assured. Believe what is true and be strengthened and encouraged. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Why don't you stand?